I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pitfalls for me, contrary to your laws. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. Mm -hmm. They almost wipe me out from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your life. Okay, that's great. Almost wiped me off the face of the earth. Okay, and uh, we've got him just showing up. Here, gee whiz, sir. You're almost late. Um, we have started. I need to know what you're planning on doing there. So you just let me know what your your plans are, and then we'll go from there. While you're getting that ready, you, uh, you want to do that now or later? Two minutes. Two minutes. Okay. Well, what we'll do right now then is we got a couple of prayer requests. We've got uh, Steve is in Cleveland at the hospital now, and he'll be having his heart surgery tomorrow. Uh, uh, Darren, a friend, a brother in Christ of Jonathan, who's out in uh, 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 Portland, he, uh, Darren died, I think he was 46, and he left his wife Gia and a nine-year-old son, so he's asking for prayer for them. And then I got a message about Andy, she's back here in Sarasota and doing okay, her, her heart is okay, and I think she's just tired and, you know, going to take a while for her to recoup on the heart surgery. And then Bob, Mike called me about Bob, and he said he looks so much better. Really? So good news for good. Bob, because apparently, you know, his face was like this. He had yeah. two teeth that were abscessed, and uh, so they got that, and so we're very happy about that. So we'll have some prayers there in a minute, and then we'll also, before we get started, we'll read uh, July 28th. In heaven, we will understand why. Keith Green was a struggling Hollywood nightclub singer. But at the same time, he was fascinated with Jesus. A Christian friend invited Keith and his wife, Melody, to a Bible study of his Vineyard Christian Fellowship at a home in Beverly Hills. The leader spoke about how God sent his son to earth to show the way to the Father. He explained, you need to open your heart to Jesus and let him come into your life. As he ended his talk, he asked those wanting to receive Jesus to raise their hands. Keith raised his hand, but Melody could uh, couldn't get her hand to move. The leader had those who raised their hands repeat a prayer and then they were dismissed. Keith had a gig that night at a bar, but during one of his breaks he told Melody, I just can't do this anymore. The next week seemed to go on forever for Melody. She kept thinking, I want to go back to the vineyard. I hope he asks us to raise our hand again. The return to the Bible study the next Friday night at last, the leader got to the hand-raising part. Melody raised her hand in a rush of peace greater than anything she had ever experienced filled her heart. Keith Green quickly became one of the most popular Christian singer-songwriters. His debut album set a record for sales in the Christian recording industry. As a result, requests for concert bookings came flooding in. Not only did Keith give uh, not only did God give Keith success in his music and speaking ministry, but in the next years, he blessed them with three children, Josiah, Bethany, and Rebecca. On July 28, 1981, the Greens and their children were at the Youth with a Mission base in Cimarron, Colorado. Melody was rejoicing because she had just learned she was pregnant again. While leading a worship time for the staff, Keith surprised Melody by announcing to the group, God is going to raise my wife up. She is going to speak against abortion. 
But that is not all. The Lord is going to use Melody in a mighty way, and she's going to speak about many different things in different places. After dinner, the pilot who had flown their family to Colorado offered to take Keith, his children, and another family on a plane ride to see the area from the air. Keith took the two oldest children, Josiah and Bethany, with him for the plane ride. As he was leaving, he called to Melody in an offhand way, if I don't come back, raise Rebecca to be a woman of God. Keith jumped in the car and drove to the airstrip. In a short while, Melody received a phone call that the plane had crashed. Rushing to the crash site, she learned that there were no survivors. Keith Green was just 28. That night, a close friend called Melody with a word she had received from the Lord for her. Melody quickly got a pencil and wrote as her friend spoke, They are with me, my glory is revealed to them. They are in my arms. The following winter, Melody gave birth to Rachel. Next two years, Melody traveled to 110 cities and spoke to 300,000 people at Keith Green Memorial Concerts. She served as president of Last Days Ministries and its sister organization, America's, Americans Against Abortion. Years after his death, Keith Green is still considered to be among the most popular Christian recording artists. Uh, Job 1, 16 through 19, when someone we care about dies, our natural reaction is to ask God why. What should our reaction be when negative events occur in our lives? It is significant that in the book of Job, Job himself never knew about the spiritual contest that was the cause of his sufferings and the death of his children. As I said, that's Job 1, 16 through 19. Job 1, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be stripped of everything when I die. The Lord gave me everything I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the chance to come into your presence and to uh, be a part of this uh, wonderful blessing of people around the world that share with each other and that love each other and that uh, are willing to seek out your wonderful, precious word. Lord, it is just astonishing how these people are just, uh, they're so in love with your word and how precious it is. And so, Lord, we just ask that you bless the people that we mentioned with the prayer requests, those that are having uh, uh, difficulties, those that are getting better and recuperating. Also, we have Don, who's got a continued broken foot. We want to pray for his healing and for Jim's knee. And uh, Lord, uh, we ask that you bless this class and uh, we'll do our best to uh, not have any errors. But if there is something that is found out to be wrong, please let us know. We don't want your word to be mistreated in any way, shape or form. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we just dedicate this time here to you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, yeah, that was very good. Um, I, that will be online, is that right? That'll be on YouTube? Yeah, and also between the sermon and the update, we'll put it again. Okay. So at the end, I'll do it again because some people said they might have some issue with the audio, but I'll put it Okay, again. well, it'll be on again at the end. Sergio will put that there, and then also uh, we'll play it on Sunday for the people that, uh, shame on them, don't attend the uh, Bible study. It'll be for the people that uh, uh, hear between the update and the... Uh, the, uh, sermon. So anyway, uh, happy birthday, Lee. Okay, so we got that, we got that, and let's see here. We have 
Oh, one more thing about that. I might as well say it before we actually get into the classes that Sergio is in the video. If you look, uh, if you watch that again, Lee, if you look at the very beginning when the door is being opened, you can see his face in the door. So we didn't add him in anywhere else because there was plenty enough of him from his reflection in the door. So there you go. Okay, um, uh, let's see here. We've got um, uh, Colossians. We're in the book of Colossians. Uh, I think we're just about done with it. Um, we're, in, we're in chapter 1 and we're in verse 14. So we may be able to finish the book up today. Yeah, Maybe. Sure. Okay. Okay, I want to start at the top of that. Wherever paragraph. makes you happy. This is the last sentence or verse in this paragraph. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in very good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who is quali has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Okay, this one is adds in a little something that uh, people go absolutely ballistic over. This one says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so uh, people say, well, the Alexandrian text is of the devil because it takes out the blood atonement of Christ. And never mind the fact that it is found throughout the New Testament. And uh, actually, Colossians adds in the blood that is not included in uh, the uh, Byzantine text in one of their verses, uh, Colossians, or uh, might be, anyway, one of one of the verses, I think it is um, another one, but um, we'll get into that, and I'm sure I make a comment uh, somewhere. So just because it doesn't say in his blood in that version doesn't mean that it's not in there, somewhere in there. It's all throughout the New Testament. And they but, put a footnote on it. And they put a footnote. As long as they footnote things and they let you know that there are disputes between texts, that's a good thing now, to do. The way you say it, they say it, they go, a few late manuscripts, redemption through his blood. Right. So is it later? The well, the Alexandrian is supposedly the oldest text, okay. and to most scholars, older is better. Okay. That's not always the case, True. but you know that's it, it's, it, when they say the, the best text say that's subjective. That is them saying I this is the best text for this reason or that. But uh, they don't know that there's no such thing as the best text until we stand before the Lord and He shows us exactly this. But I don't get uh, I don't get all bogged down about that missing in there. It is footnoted and also it is elsewhere in the New Testament, so we don't need to worry about that. But um, this verse corresponds closely to Ephesians 1 verse 7. The words in whom, might as well read Ephesians 1 verse 7, seeing as how I cited it. Ephesians 4, 3, 2, uh, 1. Here we are. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, um, in him, there it is, we have redemption through his blood. Does yours say that in Ephesians 1 7? The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Uh, how about you, Burke? Somebody have... Ephesians 1 7 there it, you have that and it says through his blood in the NASB so the Alexandrian has through his blood there so the fact that it's missing from this one uh, does not make a theological problem all it does is it says that somebody either missed something or somebody added something and as I said it, no theology or doctrine is lost 
in that. So here we go. We have redemption through his blood in whom, the words in whom is speaking of Christ, who is, as uh, the previous verse said, the son of his love, or as you have uh, the son whom he loves, is what yours says. But it is through God's beloved son that we have redemption through his blood. In the Greek, there is an article before redemption. Okay, now not always are the articles necessary. Um, you can read it with or without it, but there are times when you want to read the article, uh, the definite article, and in this case, it probably should be. If you go to Young's literal translation, he certainly would have put it there. It states the redemption. We have the redemption through his blood, and thus it sets the thought apart as the great act of redemption to which any other act, such as the redemption of Israel from Egypt, was a lesser redemption. That's why it's important that you include the article there, is because it is setting that redemption above any other redemption mentioned in the Bible. Because you'll see, redeem Israel from this, redeem Israel, you know, in the Old Testament. And we had Israel redeemed from Egypt. Well, this is the redemption. This is the full, final, and forever redemption. Okay, so um, that was a lesser redemption or merely a type and a shadow. Okay, um, when we get into, uh, oh, this week, is it this week? Yes, we're in Joshua 3 this week, and so we're going to start getting into uh, some amazing pictures of Christ and what he did. Okay, Joshua 3, this week is going to build up for next week because chapter 3 is a unified whole, and I'm going to do it all in two two sermons, okay? And the same thing is true with chapter 4. It's a unified whole, and it's going to take two sermons. Um, so uh, there are going to be pictures in there, which are actually what are being talked about right here. Marvelous, marvelous pictures. And then we're getting in into chapter 5, and I believe that's two sermons as well. I'm trying to keep it, you know, without giving too much information, but at the same time giving everything necessary so you can see the overall picture of these chapters. Chapter 6, wonderful stuff. And then we get into chapter 7, which is uh, where Achan violated the law. He uh, took some of the banned stuff, and then they ended up taking him out to the Valley of Achor and stoning him and his family and everybody and burning them and putting a pile of stones over him. So um, uh, once again, I typed that this past week. It was funny. I'll tell you what happened. I, I'm going to divert from Colossians for a second because this is so funny. On Monday... I was going through uh, Joshua chapter 7. I was doing the second sermon of that. And so I finished all of the verses, okay, and it was 1130. And I said, I can't believe it. I'm going to have my sermon done early today. It, that never happens. It's always, it always goes on and on. And I said, I can't believe how early I'm done with all of this. And so I started thinking about the typology. What is the typology telling us and trying to come up with something that will be understandable for you? And I was thinking about it, and I looked up, and I'm not kidding. It went. It was 11.38, I believe, when I said, I'm all caught up, and I'll be done in just a short time. I looked up, and it was 2.45. I had been sitting there for three hours thinking, how am I going to do this? And I thought, I, the dogs were supposed to be fed already 45 minutes ago. I've got, I, I, and then I had another hour, hour and a half of work to get those thoughts onto the page. And so I rushed, fed the dogs, came back, did that, and I didn't get done until way late Monday. I was just beat, but that's what happens. Anyway, that, just one of those crazy things that happens is I was so excited about being done early, and it was like, it seemed like 10 minutes. I'm just sitting here trying to think something through, and it was three hours later. 
what what happened to my afternoon? And I thought I was wrong. I'm like, the computer, I just couldn't believe it. Anyway, um, we'll get back into it. We'll see these uh, patterns of redemption and all that kind of stuff. Well, that is uh, the redemption here should have the article in the Bible. It is the redemption, setting it off from all other redemptions. And we will see, as I said, pictures of that coming up in, in uh, four, five, six, and so three, four, five, six, and not seven. Seven goes into a little something else, but still the same main theme. Yes? I don't know when you did it, but you went over this verse as a reference because I got the redemption written in. Okay. Wait, it was probably when I typed the commentary because you were reading the commentary back then. I don't know, but maybe not. But, or we may have used it as a reference as well, but you got the in there and very few people include it. But if you go to Young's literal translation, you will see the article almost always included, even when it's really not necessary. But uh, there are times where commentators will say, this needs to be in here and the Bible doesn't have that in there and it should be in there. And so that just supports the notion of Young's better translation. And I say better simply because it's so literal that you really see what's going on. But once again, Young's is a very hard read. It's not something you can just sit down and say, okay, I'm gonna learn theology today. You're like, it's old English, it's the structure is, um, Sergio said something to me uh, this past week um, uh, about Young's. He said, you know, people will say, well, Young's is so hard to read. Maybe Did you say it here? Oh, yeah. you did. Okay, so you said that last week. It was in class. Yeah. About Okay, so we don't need to repeat that. But um, uh, that, what's that? Two weeks. Okay, two weeks ago. Anyway, it, uh, uh, I'll say it now because <laughs> I've already started it. But what Sergio said was that, Young's people will complain that Young's is very hard to read and Sergio will tell you because he speaks Hebrew is that reading the old Hebrew the biblical Hebrew is a very hard thing to read and so Young's is like trying to read the old biblical Hebrew and so you're not really getting anything more difficult you're just getting something more literal and you are getting the nuances that are not always in there in your Bible, whatever version you're reading. So, uh, didn't mean to repeat that. I'm sorry, but um, I, I, I thought we were, that was in a conversation, but it was, it was. You and I were having a conversation. Okay, we'll go on. Um, lesser redemption, merely a type or shadow. Okay, in other words, the promised redeemer of Genesis 3 verse 15 is realized in Christ Jesus. From that proclamation, every idea of redemption which is found in scripture pointed to what Christ would do for us. This true redemption was realized through his blood. Paul's words there, through his blood. We now stand justified and free from sin's penalty through the redemption that came by his work and which culminated in the shedding of his blood, meaning his death on the cross. Okay, uh, a point for people to understand. When it says the blood, the blood of Christ, the blood, that is a way of saying death because blood is the life is in the blood right you read that all through the old testament the life is in the blood when you speak of the blood of christ it's not saying that the blood is something that that itself does anything his death is what did it when it speaks of the blood it is speaking synonymously with the thought of death so when you think of redemption through the blood of christ you are thinking of redemption through the death of christ that is the meaning because the life is in the blood. So as long as you understand that, you won't get it. Because I see people that will, uh, you know, they'll they'll get off on very very dubious tangents as far as the blood. 
And Roman Catholicism does it. You know, they have the reenactment of the bloody sacrifice, and they say this is the blood of Christ, and all these kind of things. That is missing the point of what the blood means in the Bible. The blood in the Bible signifies his death. And so that's why it says when we take the communion every week, it says we remember his death until he comes. Okay, that's what we're doing when we take wine. We're not taking blood like the Roman Catholics say. We are taking wine. Okay, whether it has alcohol or not is up to the denomination. When I was a kid at the Episcopal Church, they always gave you, uh, you know, real wine. And so as a kid, it was always fun to go take communion, right? But at the Superior Word, we don't do that because why? There are certain people that have had addictions of drinking. And we don't want them to get restarted in that by simply tasting alcohol. It is grape juice. It is from the vine, and that is the point, okay? So I, there are people that will take all of these things, and they'll take them to way, way, way unintended extremes, okay? The point is that you are taking a symbolic remembrance of the death of Jesus Christ until he comes. And if anyone read the Bible even once, you would know that all the sacrifices and the sprinkling... That wasn't a transfusion from the uh, No, It was their blood. Their, that, that was their blood. That was their death. This blood is being shed for the covenant, okay? And that means that there's an animal lying there dead because they just took out the blood to splash on the altar and to sprinkle here and to do this and that, okay? That's exactly right. So, But that is what, keep that in your head and don't get into these crazy, you know, paths that people will take on this kind of stuff. Blood is synonymous in this case with death. Okay, the term redemption comes from a root which indicates the price paid to redeem a person, such as a prisoner of war. It signifies liberty from captivity, bondage, or imprisonment. We are born, all of us, we are born into sin and we are prisoners of sin. Um, when you talk to somebody about Jesus, most people will acknowledge, yes, I've sinned. But that may not be a full understanding for them, and sometimes people need to have it explained further because, yeah, I've sinned, but I'm not as bad as this guy and that guy, okay? The point of the need for redemption isn't just that you've done something wrong in your life. It is that you were born wrong. From the very beginning, you were born in sin. You inherited our first father's sin, and God cannot fellowship with you. People need to understand that before they can have that relationship restored. They, some people already know that. You know, they just know that they're corrupt and they just don't know what to do about it. Some people think, I'm okay, I'm, you know, and they get themselves on the bell curve or whatever else. The important thing to understand is that we need redemption from sin, not because of what we did yesterday, but because of our state, our fallen state before God as human beings. So that's an important thing. Like I said, when you're, you know, when you're witnessing to somebody and if you're just watching them, you will know if they're getting it or not. It doesn't mean they're gonna accept the premise, but you'll understand whether they understand. And if you can see that their eyes are glazed over or they're, they're squinting their, you know, their eyebrows, then they're not getting it. And you need to change tack or you need to explain something a little better, okay? Just watch people. Um, you know, I was witnessing to a girl one time and while I was talking to her about the nature of sin, we had started talking about, well, closer than Jim and I are right now, and by the time I was done, after about four sentences, she had backed up probably four feet. She was literally scared of what the Bible was telling her. 
And was it she, during COVID? What's it? No, there was no COVID at the time. This was years ago. But you will get what people are feeling just by their body. You know, if they start doing this, they're trying to protect themselves from what you're saying. You know, if they, uh, you know, they start doing this, then they're a little antsy, and you know, they're maybe are considering their state before God or whatever. Watch their eyes, watch their body motions, and then adjust your what you're saying so that they can appreciate what you're saying. Because some people will just start putting up these defenses and these walls and nothing is going through, zero. So, you know, anyway, so the, the point is that we need redemption from our state, our fallen state before God. Okay, I, as I said, this signifies liberty from captivity, bondage, or imprisonment. We are born into sin, we are prisoners of sin, held in bondage by its power and are kept by the master of sin, the devil. I think we talked about that last week, 1 John 3, 8. If not, we've got it coming up in a minute. This is confirmed by the devil's words to Jesus in Luke 4, where he stated, all of this authority I will give you and their glory. Jesus didn't dispute him on that. It was true. He has authority over this world, okay? For this has been delivered to me. This is still the devil speaking, and I give it to whomever I wish. The devil has authority over this world. So if people don't like to hear about that, that's their problem. That's the, what the Bible teaches, is that he gained mastery over the human condition, okay? Sin is a firm bond, and the devil is a cruel taskmaster. However, Jesus' mission was to destroy this power. As we read a week or two ago, and I'll read again, this is the definitive statement of all of the reasons why Jesus came. This is it. Of all the things, I, the Son of Man has come to do this, and he's come to do that. Here's the main reason. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he, Jesus, he might destroy the works of the devil. Nothing else of all of the things, I've come to give life so that they may have life abundantly and all that. None of that would matter without this. This is the first and preeminent thing that had to happen for all of the other things, the blessings that he wants to bestow upon us. And if we try to circumvent this right here, we won't get any of those other things. None of them will be true in our life. We will forever be separated from God. And you, know, you what? First John 3, verse 8. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So, uh, so okay. So um, that was his mission. He did everything that he came to do. And the devil is getting phased out, or well, he's, he's defeated. He still yeah. has control over the people that are not his. Okay, but he is defeated. Christ has defeated the work of the devil. It's a done it deal. is done. It, it is done. Anybody that comes to Christ will be saved. Right. Anybody that doesn't stays under the devil. That's all there is to it. Right up until the end, and then it says, you know, the devil's someday going to get chucked into the lake of fire, and that will be over forever. Okay, but until that happens, he still is a force to be reckoned with in the world. Okay, that's why Paul says in Ephesians, we, you know, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 about the spiritual warfare that is going on in the world. We are in a battle for the people of the world. Are we going to be able to bring them to Christ's side? You know, what would be the point of us being in a spiritual battle if we were regenerated in order to believe the way Calvin is saying? Jesus is just going to go do it. You can't thwart his will. And so Calvinism, it, it misses the point is that we have a responsibility to go out and actively speak to people about Christ. 
we have to tell them. I'll stop right there, though, because I read something in this when we were talking about Keith Green and his wife, and I was a little miffed at it. And yeah, then we were working on we were working on uh, getting uh, Lee's uh, birthday wishes. So um, uh, it said that um, Keith Green was at the uh, what Vine Church or whatever it was called, and um, he, he yeah he raised his hand and said, "I want to receive Jesus." And the wife was waiting until the next week because she she couldn't get her hand up that day, and she was just waiting for the next week. First. You don't have to wait to receive Jesus Christ. You don't need to wait for a pastor to say, would you raise your hand and say a prayer after me? And I would never tell somebody that, you know, you need to raise your hand and come up here and say a prayer. I will tell them that right now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's favor. You don't know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. And if they were in that church and the guy said, oh, raise your hand if you want to come up and receive Jesus. And she died that week. Keith Green would have spent the rest of his life saying, my wife is going to hell and he'd be a miserable Christian. Right. That's all there is to it. There's, that is unnecessary. Jesus Christ came to free us from sin. And it says in the Bible, if you believe, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's done, okay? It, it's okay to ask somebody, would you like to pray with me about Jesus? I don't care if people do that or not. It doesn't make any difference. Sometimes I'll do it in the projects and sometimes I won't. But what I will tell them is that you need to receive Jesus. You need to do this, and if you don't, and you die tomorrow without having done that, you will be separated from God. Today is a day of urgency on your part, okay? And so I was miffed when I read that because, like I said, if she died that week, there would have been all kinds of catastrophe in the lives of the people that were surrounding her, okay? The other thing that was kind of weird about that was that he stands up and makes that proclamation about his wife. I'm like, okay, so... yeah. Yeah, you, you, you running the show here? Yeah, and then somebody else also, you know, I, I, they claimed something over her at his death and all that kind of stuff. That, I, you know, that's unnecessary. The Bible is sufficient all by itself, and so I didn't like that commentary at all. But I read it because it's today's and whatever. But uh, if you are struggling with wanting to know Jesus, what you need to do is to receive Jesus. Okay, just say, I understand, I've sinned. I ask you for, to forgive me of my sins. I appeal for the death that you died so that I may have the life that you are living. I may have your righteousness, whatever. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. It, that's the gospel. If you believe that, it's a done deal. Please accept that premise and call on Jesus today. That's what I would say. And Don't wait till next week because there may not be a tomorrow, much less next week. Okay, um, 1 John 3, 8. Jesus prevailed where Adam failed. What the devil gained through Adam's disobedience, Jesus regained through his obedience. What God asks is that we simply believe this message. Okay, I will give you a hint. Joshua chapter 7 deals with what I just read you. Okay, um, I haven't got it done. I, I typed it. The sermon is finished, but there's a lot that needs to be done to it. Unlike most weeks where I have plenty of time to get all that done by the end of the day, I've got a lot of thinking to do on Joshua 7 because I spent three hours thinking and not typing. And so I still have to put things together in an understandable format. But Basically, what I just read you is in Joshua chapter 7. For now, what God asks is that we simply believe this message, receive his gift, and place our trust in what Jesus has done for us. Okay, a gift is something that cannot be earned. earned. You know, that, that's one of the things that people keep misunderstanding about what Jesus has done. I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. 
you cannot earn salvation. Um, you know, I, I've probably said this at some point, but when uh, the pastor that, uh, Bill Ross, what a great guy. Do you remember Pastor Ross, Mom? He was such a great guy. He's the guy, um, he was at the church. You know, I, I met the Lord. I'd spent a couple months at the Jehovah's Witnesses because I'd never seen anybody read the Bible before, and they did. So I thought, oh, I'm going to go there. And boy, was that, never go there, okay? Never. Uh, it's a cult extraordinaire. But um, uh, from there, um, uh, we went, you know, I needed to go somewhere. My neighbors went to a Methodist church, and that didn't last very long. You know, I realized very quickly what they're doing. And so um, uh, I ended up going where my children were going to school, which was a fun, independent, fundamental Baptist church. If it sounds legalistic, it is, okay? <laughs> they had all kinds of crazy things added in, but they really loved the Bible. They loved the Lord. You know, I could overlook some of the, the things that they did because it was better than anything I had been to before. Um, so anyway, um, Pastor Ross, before I tell you what he did, um, one time he was preaching and he looked miserable. And I was like, what's the matter with him? I said, you know, his wife was sitting there. I said, what's the matter with him? She says, oh, he's got, a, I think she said 105 temperature. She said he has never missed preaching a sermon in his life since he became a preacher. And I said to myself, I am never going to miss church in my life. And I never did. And since I've been preaching, other than when I had to leave to go baptize somebody in California or do a wedding or whatever, I've never missed church, okay? I, that was my, my wake-up clue that it is that important. If this man is willing to come when he was literally burning up to give a, a sermon, I can show up and listen to him. That was my, my thought after that. I'm never going to miss church because if it's that important to him, it needs to be that important to me. Anyway, getting back to what he did. Pastor Ross, uh, I had met the Lord. I've read the Bible all day, every day. I came home and I'd read the Bible. I, I was just, that's all I did. And I had all of the knowledge of the Bible, but I had no knowledge of how to explain the Bible. Just because you know something doesn't mean you can teach that. Okay, I didn't know how to teach the Bible. I couldn't lead somebody to Jesus. I'd never done that, but I, I knew what the Bible said, but I didn't know how to put it into words. And so, Hedico, I didn't know what to tell her. I just said, oh, you need Jesus, you know? And uh, so anyway, we went to uh, where the children were. It was the church and school together. And he was there because he was the principal as well as the preacher. And uh, we went for a, you know, when you have your kids and they call the parents in and you have your annual get together, see how they're doing, whatever, parent-teacher meeting or whatever. Anyway, and Pastor Ross walked up while we were waiting for the uh, teacher and he said, you're the Garretts, aren't you? I said, oh yeah, do you know Jesus? I love Jesus. And so he was just like, I'm done with this guy. He looked at Hedico and he said, do you know Jesus? And she, her exact words, has not hit me like husband. And so uh, he, he said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And so very simply, he gave the gospel to her. And one of the things he did when he gave her the gospel was he said, now I want you to know what I've told you about just now is a gift. Yeah. It's a gift. And he said, I have this watch here. And he said, if I hand this to you and I say, this is a dollar, is that a gift? And he says, very wise Japanese, no, not a gift. She says, good deal, right? Something like that, okay? And he said, but what if I just give you this watch? What do you have to do? And she says, I put out my hand and you give it to me. And he said, 
That's all you need to do with Jesus. Just receive it. It is a gift. And it was that quick. She got it. I got it. I paid attention and I was able to tell people about how to receive Jesus. So the point is we receive his gift and place our trust in what Jesus has done for us. There's nothing else you need to do in order to be saved or it is not a gift. Okay, we need to make sure that people understand that because every church that you go to has got all of these things, this baggage that is heaped up on top of the gospel. Uh, you know what, talking about that, um, the guy that did that painting over there, you watched that video. I did. Okay, he did another video this week. Okay, he's got a tattoo shop, he does tattoo videos, he uh, does walks in the, uh, the uh, Arizona you know, and he'll, he and his wife and their dog, and they'll, they'll film him. He does all these great, great videos. He's building a Harley from, he had a, a block that he found, and so he's building an entire Harley by hand, by himself. Every single thing, he's manufacturing the, the seats. He's manu all by himself. Okay, he's the guy that did this. Okay, he sent this to me. Okay, so he did a video this week, which was so well thought out. He's going to do a painting, and he's calling the painting True North. Okay, his wife walks in, what are you doing? I'm going to make a painting, okay? And so he films it in, you know, a time lapse. So you can see from the very beginning, he's doing this painting. Beautiful, beautiful painting. But at the very beginning, before he started doing the painting, he had the Bible. And it was opened up. And it was sitting there. And he got this beautiful piece of lace. Oh, everybody loves this beautiful stuff. Oh, it'll look great on, you know, the table. Or it'll make a nice shawl for a woman or something. It's really beautiful. Okay, so what did he do? He put it in front of the camera and he said, as beautiful as this lace is, now you can't see the Bible. He says, so, and that's what churches do. They take all this beautiful stuff and they keep putting it on top of the presentation of the Word of God. And it was just marvelous to see the analogy. He says, as beautiful as this is, this is not the point. This is the point, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly what he said, but here you've got this thing, and so he took it off and he said, this is the word of God. This is what we need here, okay? And then he started his painting. I won't tell you what the painting is because I want you to watch the video. So what you can do is go to uh, Physical Graffiti Studios, uh, Sedona, Arizona. Type that into YouTube, Physical Graffiti Studios, uh, Sedona, Arizona, and it'll come up. And he's got all these videos, and the most recent video is him painting Trude North. And then what did he do at the end of the video? I was so happy, I emailed him right away, and I said, thank you. He put a gospel presentation at the end of this painting up there telling exactly what you need to know to receive Jesus. So hats off to Adrian for doing that. It was a wonderful video. You get to see his little puppy. You get to hear his wife come in once in a while, but he was focused on doing this beautiful painting. I saw okay. the result and I thought it was a photograph. Oh, literally it's, did. it's I mean, beautiful. It's, it's, oh, so like, you did like, see that. Like, like, beautiful, you know. beautiful. I, yeah, I mean, it, he's got, well, I don't want to give it away. It's just so beautiful. Yes, it is but very anyway, precise. there you go. But the, the, the thing that struck me the most was the gospel presentation at the end and the, the putting this beautiful lace over the Bible at the beginning in front of the camera. The, it, it just brought it home. It doesn't matter what you do in church. It doesn't matter how beautiful it is. It doesn't matter how, how ritualistic it is or uplifting it is. If it's not based on the Word of God, it's just frills. It's just in the way, okay? The Word of God is where the power of God is. 
Okay, so good lesson. Um, let's see here, Adam failed. Um, what God asks is that we simply believe the message. This is the redemption through his blood. This is the marvel of what God has done for us. In him there is absolute victory and complete reconciliation with God the Father. Thank God for Jesus Christ our Lord who has completely reconciled us. The word is propitiation. Now, you know the word propitious means happy, right? And we have a propitious relationship, my wife and I. We have a happy relationship. Well, Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That means he's the one that takes them away and brings back restoration with God the Father. He is the place of propitiation, which is translated from the Greek word hilasterion, but in the Old Testament, it is called the mercy seat. Same thing, the hilasterion, the place of propitiation is the mercy seat where the blood was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. Everything about the Ark pictures Jesus Christ, everything. Okay, as a means of highlighting this thought, Paul next says that in him, Jesus, we also have forgiveness of sins. This is a complementary thought to the previous clause. The word for forgiveness signifies the complete release of someone from an obligation or debt complete release. Sin's penalty is ended through the work of Christ for all who believe. That is it, okay? Once again, if you have complete release from an obligation or debt, does that mean that you're going to get it back again? No, it is gone. You have complete release from it. And once again, you can say, well, that's just for past sins. That doesn't have anything to do with future sins. Well, the Bible also deals with future sin. I say it every single week. I've said it every week as long as I've been alive probably, maybe not that long. What verse am I going to tell you now? Our sins are forgiven in the past. For the future, they are taken care of by, hint, two, begins with C, ends with Corinthians, <laughs> chapter 5, verse 19. Yes, okay. We are not having our sins imputed to us. If you have your sins forgiven and you're no longer imputed sins because you're in Christ, okay, you tell me, how are you going to lose that salvation? There's another way of looking at that, though, too. When did Christ die? A long time ago. Long before any of us were alive. Absolutely. And that sin was already covered back then. So before we even existed, so long as you believe, and then that's the, absolutely it, it's, it's wiped out. It is future. It's like we, we all the sin today is future from there. You wait so. till you see the next, the upcoming Joshua sermons. What you just said, it's all right there. Well, there you go. It's all right there. So. Joshua three, four, five, six, and like I said, seven. I, I'm so overwhelmed from typing seven. I was at Sergio's house today, and I uh, I, uh, I was trying to remember. And it was, I, I could almost not remember anything of what I typed because I was just, it was such a long, overwhelming day. But I did remember one thing about what we were talking about. Eventually, it clicked into my brain, and so we talked about it, where a particular place is in the Bible, which is identified uh, uh, by people today. If you go on, like, Wikipedia and they tell you all these things, it's identified wrong. And we know that because the Bible tells us that they went up to this place, and that is down. So we know that it's not that place, okay? You can be certain of what the Bible is saying. You just have to know what it says, you know, what it's being conveyed. Because sometimes you'll read the translation and it won't say the word up. They'll go to this place or whatever. It literally says they went up to the valley. It doesn't make any sense, but they went up to the valley. 
okay? So um, we were talking about where that was and it happens to be a place that we have been. So, okay, we'll just go on. Um, uh, as a means of highlighting this thought, I'm gonna read that again. Paul next says that in him, in Christ, we have also have forgiveness of sins. And that is what I said. This is a complementary thought to the previous clause. The word forgiveness signifies complete release of someone from an obligation or debt is done. Since penalty is ended through the work of Christ for all who believe. The redemption through his blood, Paul's words, looks at the work of atonement from God's perspective. That's what I said this last week, and I say it again now. We cannot look at these things from our perspective. If we look at Israel in the world from our perspective, we will say, well, God is done with them. God is turned away from them, and the church has replaced Israel. That is not how God looks at Israel. God looks at Israel from God's perspective, which is from above, not below. And when he sees Israel, he sees the same disobedient people that we see in the world today. They're filled with all of the same problems that the rest of the world has, probably multiplied by 5,000. But God covenanted with them. And because he did, he is looking at things from his perspective. And he says, I am not going to betray my covenant with them. Okay? And that's what we need to remember. Okay? We are looking at something from God's perspective. The forgiveness of sins looks at it from our side. Oh, I'm free of my sins. One can see the work of the God-man in this. He completed both. There is the heavenly side and there is the earthly side. Together they unite in him for reconciliation between the two. Once again, you will see that coming up in Joshua chapter 3, the sermons from that. Okay, you won't see it this week because this week is just the first half. But you will see it, okay? It is coming. The uniting of God and man. Very clear in there, okay? Charles Ellicott notes that in order from the previous verse, we see the first cause of our salvation, which is the Father's love. Here in verse 14, we see the efficient cause, which is the redemption and propitiation of the Son, okay? When you talk about causes, I'm gonna read you something if I can find it. Uh, I'm going away, so I won't be in the thing for a second but I usually won't do this, but it's funny that that came up with Charles Ellicott because I talk about four causes in the uh, sermon coming up on Sunday. And uh, so I just want people to know that I didn't just make this up and suddenly uh, add it in because we went through it today. Let me see if I can find this. If I can, it's not that important. Oh, here it is right here. Now listen to this. This is uh, speaking about the priests carrying the ark into the Jordan River. Okay, you all know that part of Joshua chapter 3. What he talked about causes, efficient and material and all these different causes, he talked about two of them. There are four causes. I'm going to read this and then you can think about it and you, because you're going to hear it again on Sunday. If you're here, if you're not, shame on you. But um, you're going to hear it on Sunday and then from there we will discuss it the next week. Okay, the priests bearing the ark are the material cause. Their entry into the Jordan is what makes the thing, like wood in a table, to be. The formal cause, the design, is the parting of the Jordan. The efficient cause, what brings it about, is the Lord's presence working on behalf of Joshua. And the final cause, there's always a final cause, meaning a purpose for something. If I'm going to build a table, I've got a material cause. I've got to 
formal cause. I've got an efficient cause. Well, I also have a final cause. What is the final cause? Is to have a table, okay? The final cause, the purpose, is the exaltation of Joshua in the eyes of the people. He specifically said that. We will uh, do these things so that you will be exalted among the people, so that as they followed Moses, now they will follow you, okay? Now, if you remember that and then think about it and then think about what is coming up in the next sermon, you'll be ahead of everybody else. That's an important thing. But what Charles Ellicott says here is exactly right. So I'll read it again. Charles Ellicott notes that in order from the previous verse, we see the first cause of our salvation, which is the Father's love. Here in verse 14, we see the efficient cause. What is it? It is the redemption and propitiation of the Son life application. Think soberly on what you have received from God in the giving of his son. The blood was shed, meaning he died. The blood was shed so that we could be redeemed. When one puts Jesus' cross at the front of their thoughts, it puts all things into their proper perspective. There is an eternity of fellowship with God that lies ahead of us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is what we need to do. We need to have it at the front of our thoughts at all times. Christ died for me. And that's why Paul says, let me boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ, by which I am reconciled to, crucified. crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so there you go. That is what Paul did. He kept his eyes on Jesus. He kept his affections on Jesus, and he considered the cross of Jesus Christ at all times. The cross is another way also of saying the death of Christ, okay? It is, you got the different causes again. Well, that is one of the causes, but the blood signifies his death. The cross, cross signifies his death, etc. okay? So there you go. There's an eternity of fellowship with God that lies ahead of us because of the work of Jesus Christ. I don't think we're going to finish the book tonight. We might. I, I'm, I'm going to speed it up after this. We just got off on a couple little rabbit holes, and so we might. You never know. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Okay. This is where I said a week ago, or maybe two weeks ago, that we're going to get into what I would think is the main purpose of Paul's writings. Okay, and it's going to go from here, verse 15, all the way down to verse 21, actually 20. He's going to give information on Jesus, who he, he is and how we can know God through him. Okay, and so here we have the first one. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Almost word for word, if not word for word from what you just said. Okay, <clears throat> words have meaning. And those words cannot be disassociated from the context of what is being said without destroying the intent of the author. I was waiting for Hitoko to finish something last night and I was watching the uh, YouTube and there was a guy talking about um, the structure and the uh, uh, whatever, the nuances of various languages. And he was talking about how some languages, specifically the talk was uh, feminine and masculine within a language. And so he, the Hebrew has that. Every single thing, this is either feminine or masculine. A car is feminine, okay? You've got, everything is identified. And that's just how the language works. It doesn't mean that the car is a girl, but it's a way that you identify things. Spanish does that, okay? I would say that most languages do it. And believe it or not, 
English used to do that way, way back as was his conclusion or his, one of his statements in there and he explained it. And there are remnants of that in English to this day. We call a ship a he or a she and we've got other things that we, you know, we identify a, a, a car sometimes as a female, okay, whatever. Um, but we've got these things that uh, are left over in, uh, from that type of thinking in our language. But we also have things like articles a and the etc and there was a time apparently when there was no indefinite article in the English and I was thinking about that today while I was walking around and I'm thinking how does that work because I can't think of English without an indefinite article I can't I can't even imagine it. I'm trying to think how can they have communicated that and understood what is being said without an indefinite article okay the definite article is there. We know that it's speaking. That is the chair that I want you to take. It's not a chair where they could just go grab any chair. And how do you get around those things? Okay, that's the point that this introduction that I'm giving you is we have languages and they have meaning. They have structure. And when you are given something, you must maintain the context or you have violated what is being said. Words have meaning and those words cannot be disassociated from the context of what is being said without destroying the intent of the author. Paul's words in this verse and in the verses to come are precise. They're not just precise, they are exactingly precise. They are intended to cut through heresies which were already being introduced concerning Christ Jesus at that earth early date. And we know that's correct because he wrote these words. He wouldn't have just said this arbitrarily because he would have sat with the, the people at Colossae and he would have said, you know, Jesus is God and blah, 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 blah. And they would have said, okay, I got that. And all of a sudden somebody comes in and he, he, he takes the words and he, he introduces something that gets them confused. And so they write him a letter and they say, Paul, you said this, but this guy seems to say that it's, and so he says, I'm going to write you about the nature of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is just speculation. I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm just saying this is what, Something prompted Paul to write these words that was already wrong, is the point, okay? So, they were intended to cut through heresies which were already being introduced concerning Christ Jesus at that early date. In order for those at Colossae and all believers in all ages since then to understand proper Christological doctrine, Christological means Christ, Christ-centered doctrine, he now writes these words about Jesus Christ. As I said, 115 to about 120, he's going to be very, very precise in what he is saying. Okay? He says that he, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. The word is ekon. It is a word which assumes a prototype of which it not merely resembles, but from which it is drawn. It is then more than a shadow, rather it is a replication. That is helps word studies. This replication reflects what it is replicating for us to understand, okay? There is a stress on the words, the invisible God, to lead us to grasp that Jesus Christ is revealing that which would otherwise be unknown. And that's what I say quite often. Jesus Christ is the one who ceaselessly, endlessly, forever embodies God the Father. He is the revelation of God the Father in human form. If you have seen the Father, you've seen me. Don't you know me? Okay, I've been around you this long. He's telling them, I am 
revealing to you the Father, okay? God's perfections and his very being are seen in Christ. This will also be in the Joshua sermons. I hate to keep building you up over this, but it will be in there, okay? You've got, I don't want to give it away. Okay. So it was the Gnostics that started all this trouble. Well, Gnosticism, but I mean, they didn't really have a name at the time. They were just people that did these things, and the word Gnostics comes from the word Gnosis. I pronounced the G, but I didn't need to. Yes, knowledge. It's, I've got knowledge. I've got this understanding for the deeper things. You can't know it, but I'm going to tell you this. And that's, you know, you get this in churches even to this day. People, I know you don't sit down and listen to this. Okay, so read that again. God's perfections in us being are seen in Christ, being completely and accurately displayed in him. This is explained in several different ways in the Bible. I'm going to give you a couple of examples, and we'll just go one at a time. We're going to go first to 1 John, okay, chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, which is a real teeny book, which is easy to miss over because it's only five chapters long, and each is about half a page or so, but 1 chapter uh, John, one, John chapter 1 and verse 18, little children, it is, uh, that's not the one I want, no, I'm sorry. John. Oh, John one eighteen. thank you. I, you know, I, I'm, that's my dyslexia. I saw 1 John and I said, I'm going to go there. That's not what, at all what I want. I want John chapter 1, okay? So, John chapter 1 and in verse 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. So he's declaring God the Father. He is the logos. He is the one that is the logic of God. He's the word of God that reveals God. He explains God. It says here that uh, in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Okay, and then John 14, 9, which I may have just brought up, but anyway, we'll go there really quickly, and I may have said it. I can't remember what 14, 9 says. Burke can shout it out if he wants, but yes, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And then he goes on and he says, don't you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay, and I'm going to take you back to John chapter 10, and in verse 30, he says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Okay, very clear there. This is what Paul is telling us in which John has already known and someday in the future he will put it into writing, which he eventually did. Okay, so what is being conveyed to us is that God is, but we cannot see him. Let me make a note right here so don't forget what I'm doing. God is, but we cannot see him. In order for us to understand him, meaning God, the invisible God, in an intimate and personal way, he united with his creation in the womb of Mary, coming as Christ Jesus. Therefore, he is the image or replication of what we could not otherwise see. He explains the Father to us because he is one with the Father, having come from the Father. The choice of wording Paul gives here and the many references elsewhere in scripture are calling out for us to believe that Jesus Christ is God, nothing less. That is what we are being told to do, okay? When you go to the Jehovah's Witnesses, they have to do what I warned against at the beginning, I'll read it again. 
Words have meaning, and those words cannot be disassociated from the context of what is being said. And they do. They disassociate, they add, they subtract, they do anything to get away from Jesus being the creator. Okay? When referring to God, Hebrews 1.3 calls the Son the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Paul repeats this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. God is, and Jesus is God. That's what we need to understand. There's no way that you can come to the Bible and read it if it is properly translated and come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is anything but God. He is fully God, okay? You have to have it trained into you in advance that that is not true. There has to be an agenda. And that's why we were talking about the devil a while ago. The devil is defeated, but he is still active in the world, okay? He is doing his thing to deceive people and to bring in these things to keep people from salvation, okay? So, so I know Trinity is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, but the concept is... Absolutely. Right. That's right. And, and give a good example of that. Well, we've got one right here. At least okay. we've got a, not just a Trinity, we've got a, we'll, we'll say a duality. We've got God the Father and God the Son. Right. But um, what you should do is watch the Bible Bites that Maya's done over the past... Um, uh, three weeks. She first did the the Trinity, and she took Bible bites out of there, and she picked out just the parts that make it absolutely clear. Sure. And then right now she's doing it from the um, uh, humanity of Christ. And they're only a couple minutes long. She does two every day. So if you watch those Bible bites, it'll take you at the most, and they're never five minutes long. They're usually from one minute to three minutes long. It'll take you the most, a couple minutes of your life. And if you can listen to things at double speed or, you know, whatever, you, it'll take you three minutes at the most to, well, I do. And when I watch YouTube, man, I always put it on too because that's what I render all the videos I at don't even on Sunday. What's that? I don't even know there's a control. Oh, there. yeah. Here's your video. Okay. And right down at the bottom, there's a, a gear. Okay. If you click on that, you can add subtitles and all those things. One of them says speed. And so you got 1.0, or if you really want to listen closely, you can go down to like quarter speed. And it, but you might want to hear something. What is that person saying? Or you can speed it up to 1.25 or 1.5 or 1.75 or 2. And you can listen to it at double speed. At first, it's very hard. But when I render the videos on Sunday, I don't have a lot of time. I still have, when I, when I, start. I start at 3.30 on Sunday mornings, and I come to church, and by the time I leave here, I've put in a full day. It's 12.30, and what's that, eight hours? I still have another six hours of work to do, and I got to get those videos done before I can get all that done, and so I do everything at double speed, so I'm used to listening to it, and once you get used to that, you can listen to an hour and a half video, what, 45 minutes? It, you're just done, so it's not that bad. So that's what you do, right down at the bottom and click on that, okay? The gear. But yes, click on the gear and if you wanna go faster and then, you know, don't forget to give a like because when she gets likes or when she gets, you know, stuff like that, it, it, it changes the uh, parameters. I guess it makes it go more viral or something. Right. So I always try, I, I always watch them on the TV which takes forever for me to, it's not easy like on the computer. But Somebody today just contacted me and saying, 
they watch the video, they watch the sermon, and then they got to Bible Bites, and that's they watch them all the time. A young man oh. said he, he loves it because he is able to retain more information through Bible Bites because it's one subject, one item at a time, right. and not a right. part of a bigger sermon. So he just he just oh, loves them. He I'm, emailed me asking me for some topics to do with you together. You need to send that to her, or she yeah. hears it now. She's heard it. So um, if she's listening, she may do it later. I don't know what she's got yeah. on fast speed. She's yeah. heard it. Oh, well, she does a great job on him, too. So um, anyway, yeah, fast speed. Um, anyway, the um, I'm glad to hear that, okay? Because they do. They take yeah, they take these things in theology, and they put them into a bite-sized nugget that you can retain. And I understand sermons. If you, When we did a sermon on the Trinity, it was, what, 45, 50 minutes long, maybe an hour? Mm-hmm. And it was just so packed full of stuff that you'll never remember it all. So it's good to go back and refresh. But anyway, um, so you asked about the Trinity, and they are in there. As a matter of fact, I'll give you one example before we go on from the Old Testament. There are several from the Old Testament, but this is one of them that is so obvious. Like I said, the, the Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, but it is there. It is there. Let me see if I can find this right now. It is... Um, uh, let me see if I can find this. That's not it. Um, maybe it's in chapter 12. Uh, let me see here. Yes, okay, here it is, 1210. Uh, yes, and I will pour, Zechariah 1210, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, first person, singular, whom they pierced, yes, they will mourn for him, as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Now that's the Lord saying that. Sure. So the Lord is saying they will look on me, and they will. Gr- so it's all three are mentioned right there in that one verse. Yeah. But the Jews don't like that, and so they use a margin note. And the Jehovah's Witnesses don't like that, so they use a margin note. Okay. Saying, well, this can't mean what it means, and so this is what we're submitting it means. Okay. That's not what the text says. The text says what I just read you, okay? Charlie, does the baptism of Jesus also? Yeah, baptism of Jesus. All three are right there. It's a good example because the Spirit is descending, the Father speaks, and Jesus is there. So that's another example. Very good. And that was one of the Bible bites recently, too. So there you go. Um, She covers a lot of things with that. So, yes? Second Corinthians, last verse, last chapter. Go ahead. Grace of the Lord Jesus. Yes. Love of God. Fellowship of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Wow. Absolutely. And that's several times he does that in his writings. Absolutely. Trinity is all through the Bible implicitly. Don't need to have a word said for it to have meaning. Okay? So, therefore, uh, he united with a creation in the womb of Mary coming as Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. Therefore, he is the image, I read that, replication of what we could otherwise not see. He explains the Father to us because he is one with the Father having come from the Father. Okay, I've read all that. I'm going to go on now to uh, the next paragraph. Paul next notes that he is, this is Paul's words now, the firstborn over all creation. The term here is prototokos, coming from two words, protos, or first, or preeminent. Protos is first or preeminent. And tikto, it means to bring forth. As the scholar Bengal notes, the pro, which is contained in prototokos, governs the genitive ketosis, or I'm sorry, it's a very hard word for me to say, K-T-I-S-E-O-S, ketesios. 
it is an accident of the creature. Therefore, the origin of the, the origin of the Son of God precedes all time. In other words, Paul is not saying that Jesus is the firstborn of all that is created, but he is the firstborn prior to all that is created. He is eternal, having issued from the Father and having preceded time itself. And that is found where in the Old Testament? Well, no, speaking of the Son, I think it's, uh, 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 I want to say um, Zechariah uh, 9, 9, is that right? It's where it says um, that he was, well, uh, yes, um, I, that's what I'm looking for. Is that what I'm looking, let me see if I can find that. It's right on the end of my brain, and it's not a very big brain, so let's see here. Um, 9, uh, no, that's writing. It's the one where, it, maybe it's Micah. It is Micah. His goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting. everlasting. Olam. Okay, in other words, that's the same thought as what's being said right here. And when it says Olam, there, Olam can mean a lot of different things. And All Micah it means. Five two. Uh, Micah 5.2, thank you. We'll go there. Let me see if I, which way am I going with that? Micah is right. Uh, go ahead and read it out loud if you've got it in front of you. Uh, yeah. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you're little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me. Don't want to be a ruler. That's not it. Sorry. Yes, whose goings forth are from of old, from Olam. Okay? Yes. Yes. That's the, the right verse, Micah 5 2. So his goings forth, where he is coming from, is from Olam. The context will tell you what Olam is saying. Olam can be used like, um, you know, this is a priesthood forever for Aaron. Okay? But it's not forever and ever like eternal, okay? It is, the word olam simply means, if you can think of it this way, the vanishing point. When you're looking at a road and the road is in the picture and it gets to a point where there's a dot, that's where it vanishes, okay? It's a point out of time, it's out of mind, we don't know when it is, okay? So when Christ came, the vanishing point of the law was when Christ died on the cross, okay? Well, in this context, when it says that his uh, goings forth are from of old, even from Olam, the context tells you it's from a point that we can never know. Well, we have the Bible that records human history from the creation on, don't we? So it obviously goes before Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the physical world. Well, if his goings forth are from Olam, and we have a beginning point, then he is from before the beginning point. And that's what the Bible is telling us with Micah 5 2. And Hebrews 1 2 says, For whom he created the world. He created the world. Yeah. That's right. So, this is all found in this word prototokos. Okay? So, um, let's see here. Where was I? Firstborn, prior to all that is created, he is eternal, having issued from the Father and having preceded time itself. Vincent's Word Studies notes that as image points to revelation, so firstborn points to eternal pre-existence, okay? This is a logically support, or this is logically supported by the words coming in the next verse. If this were not true, then Paul could not continue on with what he will next say, and yet he will. Further, the pattern used here in Colossians 1 is, here it is, what you just said, repeated in Hebrews 1 and John 1, showing 
that it is not a mistake by Paul, but it is rather logical and it is proper. There is Christ, and then there is creation which follows. Logically, Christ then is God. And he pre-exists, and he's God. He, he is God, having issued from the Father prior to the creation of time itself. He's always been there in God, always. Life application. To rob Jesus Christ of his deity is to rob God of his glory. All of the work of Jesus Christ would be ascribed to a created being, but scripture clearly shows that salvation is of of the Lord. The Lord. Thank you. That's, um, uh, what is it, Jonah 1-4, is it? Salvation is of 126, right in that, yeah, one tw yeah, down at the end, thank you, not 1-4. Um, so, salvation is of the Lord. Not of a creature created by God, but of the Lord. If you do not accept the deity of Jesus Christ, you call God a liar. The word is clear and unambiguous concerning Jesus' deity. If you disbelieve, the error is not with the word, but with you. Stop listening to whatever cult you have been trained by and accept the word of God alone. In fact, John specifically says that the spirit of Antichrist is the denial of the son-father relationship, meaning them both being God. That is the meaning of Antichrist. So when the Antichrist, everybody's all worried about coming, we don't need to worry about him because we're not going to know who he is, but everybody wants to talk about him like he's some type of super bad dude that, you know, he like has powers and he melts people. Or that's, he's a fundamental denier of the deity of Jesus Christ. That is his primary reason for existence is to say that there is no Jesus Christ. And probably what that means, probably, because there are a lot of people that are in Christian circles right now that are not going to be raptured, okay? It's pretty evident. Okay, all these people are going to either do one of two things. They're either going to freak out and they're going to repent and they're going to change their mind about God, or they're going to double down and they're going to say, those Christians didn't disappear at all. And so what is the Antichrist going to do? The denier of the son relationship? He's going to support that. And he's going to say, that is not what happened. He is not God and you have completely misunderstood. And so that is what the Antichrist's job is, is to deny the son-father relationship. Okay. And whatever other things he does is great. That's wonderful. He can rule the world and do all that kind of stuff. But his primary thing is to deny the son-father relationship. And that's why there is something called the great white multitude. Not the great white throne. I'm thinking of the great white multitude because there are going to be a lot of people that are going to say, that is not true. And they're going to be willing to die for the sake of what they know is true. Okay? The Jews knew who he was. They said, we're not crucifying you at fault because you made yourself You God. made yourself God. That's and right. They understood that. They did understand that, that that was his claim. Whether they believed it or not is completely different. Right. But that was his claim. We've got 10 minutes, so go ahead and yeah. do one more. Okay, daring of you. We're, okay. we're going to do it. <laughs> For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Um, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Okay, for him by all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. I don't know if we're going to finish this. This we're is not. a long time. We also have a video for the role of the video. Oh, play the, okay. 
Um, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Okay, let me see if we have time to do this, or maybe we can stop halfway through it or something. Um, oh, this is no. There's no way we can do that. No, we'll we'll, we'll do a long. little bit of it, and then we'll just we'll we'll stop halfway through, and then we'll start again. How's All that? Right, um, okay, the word. I won't include that in the. Um, uh, I'm just going to put two verses down for the uh, video title, and then we'll just start this one again next week. Gotcha. Okay, well, this will just be a. a, a Teaser. A teaser for next week. Uh, 116. We'll start with 116 again. So I'm going to go ahead and put a circle and we'll just talk about it for a little while. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to use this verse. Let me see what I say here. We won't do that because I don't want to. Um, I, uh, let's see here. Did I talk about the first principles? Do I talk about the first principles? Whether thrones, literally. Uh, uh, okay, twice. Okay, I don't. The first principles are principles of logic, okay? Logic is something that is, okay? God is the author of logic. We'll talk about this now, and then we'll do the verse next week. There's just too much. Let me go get a book here, and let me see if I have this, because I don't talk about it. I don't talk about this in the commentary. So if I can find the first principles in here, and they may not be, because people always ask for them, and I give them away, and then I say, I wish I didn't do that, because i got to print them off again. But maybe I have the first principles in here. What the, first principles? the first principles are principles of logic. Okay. Here they are. Okay, one of these first principles is exactingly identified in Colossians 1.16. So we're going to spend five minutes, and in five minutes I want you to tell me to be quiet so we can play that one more time. Okay, all I'm going to do is read them to you, and I'm going to get down to the one that pertains here. One, being is. That's the first principle. It is the principle of existence. We're here. We know we're here. And so we know that there is being. To say there is no being is self-refuting. Why? Because if I say there's no being, I have to say it in order for it to be true. And so obviously I'm an idiot if I deny that. One must exist in order to make the claim. Two, being is being. That is B is B. That's the principle of identity. To say being isn't being is self-refuting. One must be a being in order to make a claim about not being a being. If I say I'm not a being, I, it's self-refuting because I'm being something by saying that. Okay, three, being is not non-being. B is not non-B. That is the principle of non-contradiction. If being exists, which is principle one, then it cannot be non-being. Now that sounds silly, but it's important to know that that is a fundamental principle of logic. The principle is self-evident and undeniable. Four, either being or non-being. That's either be or non-be. That's the principle of the excluded middle because people are always trying to shove something in the middle. Either I exist, asking the question means I do, then I am being. If I am being, then I am not non-being. The principle is self-evident and undeniable. There is no wiggle room, okay? Five, non-being cannot cause being. That's non-be is less than be or greater than be. That's the principle of causality. Something cannot come from nothing. The universe cannot create itself if it didn't exist. Right? Okay. And we cannot have an infinite regress in matter or being. 
That's Einstein's relativity. The principle is undeniable. Infinite regress means that this created, this created, this created, and it goes on for infinity. That's impossible. You can never go forward if you have an infinite regress. If there was an infinite regress of time, the clock would never tick another tick because you're always going back looking for the beginning. So infinite regress is impossible. Just believe me on this and we can talk about it sometime. Six, contingent being. This is what's being refuted in this verse right now. A contingent being cannot cause a contingent being. Charlie Garrett is contingent. Something created me. I did not just, I'm not, you know, necessary. God made me. I could not exist. And if I didn't exist, that means that I am contingent. God created me. I do exist, but I'm contingent on something else, both for creation and for being sustained right now. Okay, that is the principle of contingency or dependency. Now think of this. This would lead, if a contingent being could create something else, it would lead to an infinite regress of causes, which is disproved by relativity, time, space, and matter. They came into existence simultaneously, proven by Einstein, and are dependent upon each other. The principle is undeniable. Okay, what that means is that what the Jehovah's Witnesses say, God created and Jesus Christ created all other things is impossible. If you think it through, logically, it is irrefutable. Okay, read this again. There would be an infinite regress of causes which is disproved by relativity. This is three things in relativity. Time, space, and matter. What is this? It is within space, and it's getting older right now. This paper will someday turn to dust. Okay? Time, space, and matter all happened at the same moment, and one cannot exist without the other two. Space. Space is. Without matter, there would be no space. There would be nothing. Okay? And you could not have space without time. And time. You can't have time without space and matter. All three are contingent on each other. God created these things. These things are contingent. This or this or you or you cannot create anything. No. Everybody got that? Okay. Now, I'm going to stop there. That's the six of the 12 first principles. But the contingent being is what Paul is addressing in Colossians 1.16. And we'll talk about that next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to meet and to come into your presence and to uh, uh, study your word. And we thank you for this precious word. And we also thank you for the people that are getting better in their health. And we pray for those that are going through uh, surgery tomorrow or healing in their bodies or that uh, are having birthdays. Lord, all of these things are part of what you've ordained for the human experience. And we thank you for that. So, Lord, we just uh, ask that you bless uh, the folks that are online, the folks that uh, listen to this in the future, and we just pray that uh, you will be glorified through our devotion of our adoration of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I can get this thing off right now, and hopefully it won't go over an hour and a half. So we're going to go live. Goodbye, everybody. Oh, I'm going to back it up, break. There's one more minute.